Welcome to the Next Generation Podcast presented by Generations Bank. I'm Luke Cannon. And I'm Max Harrell. Okay, Max, I know we're a little behind on this, but we need to talk about Silicon Valley Bank because everybody's talking about this. Everybody, who would have thought that the banking industry would be? It is spicy now. So nowadays. highly discussed. Yeah, it is, but not for great reasons. That's true. So, yeah. respectfully, we need to talk about this. We do. So, I want to give a banker's perspective on what exactly happened. Okay. And I'm sitting across from a great banker. So, wow. I'm relying on you to give us your insight on kind of how you've seen it unfold. And I want to answer the question, how did this bank get to this point of collapsing, failing, whatever you want to say? So give us a recap. If you don't know already, Max is going to tell you. Okay. Silicon Valley Bank at one point was the 16th largest bank in the U.S. in late March of 2023. They failed. It was essentially a lack of confidence in the bank that caused the failure. From their customers. Yeah. So there were some bad decisions um, and things that we can get into later, but poor decisions, poor management decisions that were made and the interest rate environment ultimately led to the failure almost overnight of the bank. Yeah. So they had certain expectations that they thought, you know, our bank is growing very rapidly. And in 2018 to 2022, I mean, this bank was taking off. Um, I don't really have the specific numbers, but I did get a chance to look at their balance sheet. And they grew. They grew a lot. Um, And that was because their customers were uh, a lot of startups, a lot of tech companies who during the pandemic did grow. Um, They grew a lot. And so they had a ton of deposit growth in 2022. So what did they do with those deposits? And maybe what do banks do with deposits? What what did they do differently that was kind of uh, unwise there? Yeah, yeah. So balance sheet management is is sort of what we're talking about, right? Um, And so when when a bank holds deposits, they're, they're, they're holding those funds for a customer. Look, you know this, but, but a bank makes money in basically taking the deposits from customers and reinvesting that into other income-producing assets, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, whether that be loans, whether that be buying bonds or other securities uh, to reinvest that in, but taking deposits, uh, specifically low-cost deposits, I'm mean, reinvesting them at, at a higher yield. So... Um, what was interesting about Silicon Valley Bank is that they had these really, really large accounts, large, large business accounts um, that came from the tech industry. Uh, a, a lot of them came from the tech industry, a la Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. They're located right in the hub of all that. And and so... Is it a valley? <laughs> I would I've assume never so. been. I've never been. I actually have been. Do they have an airport? I, Probably. I, I, yes. It's a it's suburb probably. of um, San Fran, right? That's San Francisco for all you who weren't picking up what I was putting down. But San, yeah. it's around San Fran. I mean, I think it's a suburb. I don't remember how far outside of San Francisco it is. but It's, it's got to be below San Francisco, though, if yeah, it's Silicon yeah. Valley. I mean, is, is San Francisco the highest point of, of California? Well, I mean, it's at sea level, I guess. So I don't know. Okay. But uh, 
keep going. Well, a good thing we're not talking about geography, but um, <laughs> they had these really large customers that were these larger tech companies, and you know they had about I think it was something like ninety four percent uninsured deposits, meaning it was uh, exceeding two hundred fifty thousand. Yes, yes, the FDIC insurance level. Yeah, yeah. So you know that makeup is. Unique, to say the least, and and what I would say is very different than most other banks. Yeah, so they did have this crazy amount of deposits, and you said there are all kinds of ways that banks can invest that money. Yes. What did they choose to do with these deposits? Yeah, so one of the interesting things they did was they actually, you know, once they had this large influx of deposits, specifically through the, you know, the COVID time period, uh, in, in which a lot of these tech companies, you know, saw a major rise uh, basically, what they did is they they invested this into you know um, both treasury bonds and uh, and other long term assets. So so really, uh, I'm sorry, long term debt. Um, and so really, they had these this large or these really long assets that they invested these these deposits into, which are typically pretty low risk in nature. And that was an, an interesting interesting play at that point, to be honest. And the risk there is because when 2020, you, your interest rates are pretty much at the the bottom. Right. They are subject to increase eventually, meaning the value of those bonds that they bought them at are going to go down. Right. So why did they think that it was appropriate to, you know, lock this money into these long-term assets, debts? I mean, yeah. is that is that a... One of the things that, you know, while while loans may be deemed a little bit of a riskier investment, t- typically their, their yield or their earning ability is a lot higher. And so if you can, you know, you would invest those deposits in a, you know, a little bit better returning investment, right? Now, what they did was their, their bonds and the types of instruments that they invested in are, are really low low risk, but they're also low risk from a default standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily a riskiness as in not detrimental to to the balance sheet standpoint, but from a, a default standpoint. But, you know, with that comes really low potential returns as well. And so if you want to think about it this way, like bonds at that time, the, the bonds they were investing in, they were probably taking like a 0% deposit because interest rates were all the way at the bottom, and investing it into a, a you know a low risk bond that was probably paying you know half a percent and let's just say one percent for round numbers so they were making one percent on their money all right well you know one percent on a significant significant amount like they were making is probably not just a terrible return and and loans were were at low rates as well but what happens is is as interest rates rise and the Fed raises rates. Uh, we get to a point to where, you know, you're at 5% for a bond. Well, you're basically going to have to take a 4% discount if you were to liquidate all of that right. immediately. Um, and, and that's not a great spot to be in. And you got to think, I mean, this customer base, they are tech companies. They right. are startups. The kinds of loans that they're doing are not, I mean, there probably wasn't a ton of loan demand from their customers. And so investing in, yeah. These securities was kind of the play that they've probably been doing 
for a long time. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it probably makes more sense. Like you said, from a traditional bank standpoint, they probably weren't loaning out um, a ton of money. I think they only had like a 35% loan-to-asset uh, ratio, which is really, really low in banking, really low. And so they probably weren't making a lot of these loans to their specific customers, but they were holding their accounts there. So. Yeah, so they decided to invest in securities. Well, like you said, or as we know now, interest right. rates are way up, yeah. Um, yeah. which means that that value of, of those securities, right? if they had to liquidate, you'd have to take a major loss. Yes. So in 2022, deposits declined by $18 billion in their bank. And yeah. so, you know, that trajectory that they thought they would be on, that their customers would keep performing and performing and performing, right. didn't happen. Right. Well, now we've got a lot of our capital locked into securities. Yeah. So, I mean, you're starting to see a trend here, right? Everything's working when it's working, but when it's not, things can start getting a little, ha- little hairy. And so, you know, when, when these tech companies who, you know, some flourished and did great, some, you know, ran into issues um, and, and their deposits started shrinking, well, now, now they're, they're kind of up against it. Um, from a liquidity standpoint, right? When the money you're using to invest in some of these things is not there because it's being taken out by your customers, you have to liquidate some of those assets. Well, they didn't want to do that because they were going to have to take them at a, at a huge discount. And, and so the, the, the writing was sort of on the wall for, for some of this stuff to, to kind of start going sour. Yeah. And to throw another crack into the already cracked whatever it might be. Yeah. <laughs> to throw a cherry on top, maybe, of all this failure. Okay. Let's say that. Crack, but, the, uh, crack in the crack. Okay. Yeah. To throw another uh, bad thing on top of an already bad thing. All of their deposits were in money markets. A lot. Not yeah. all, but like a majority I've got that 65%, of 65%, and this is another balance sheet fine. 65%. Are we having balance sheet fun today? You know, we're checking it out. We're How observing. blessed are we? We're Luke, making an analysis. To have balance sheet fun. These are all public. So if you ever get bored and you're sitting at home, you're like, I've watched every show on Netflix. Just go to, what is it? F-F-E-I-C. I before E. That's right. Except after C. That's right. Or before C. Yeah. In this case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> go there, you can see all of uh, every bank's balance sheet. But anyways, yeah. 65% in money market accounts, which is basically significant because it's an interest-bearing account, meaning that you are paying as the bank, you're paying your customers to hold those funds as opposed to a normal just checking account. Yeah, as so, opposed to a 0% checking account. But those yeah. those margins go up as interest rates go up, right? Yeah, so the rate the bank is paying oftentimes goes up when interest rates. Um, yeah, so they're they're losing value on their bonds and they're having to pay out more on their deposits. Yeah, you're starting so to see that. Another, that's just another side you're note. You're starting to see the crunch, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. It got crunchy. So, <laughs> by the way, that's maybe my favorite candy bar. A crunchy? Yeah. No, just a crunch, <laughs> like a crunch bar. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I don't know the crunch. I'm not sure. A crunchy think, bar. I don't know. I think I'm, maybe I'm hungry right now. But Crunch bars are good. Yes. I like Kit Kats. But okay. well, that's my crunch crunch chocolate bar of choice. But It sounds like we better keep talking about banking. Yeah. Okay. So March 8th, 2023, yeah. they sold some of their securities. 
Yeah. So and took that loss that we were talking about. Yeah. So essentially, here they they announced a, a, a 1.8 billion dollar loss on their bond portfolio. That's with a B. 1.8 billion dollar loss on their bond portfolio. So, and and, and then you also you said they announced that. Yeah, they announced it. So here's what's really interesting. All right. So this is a this is really banking nerdy stuff. All right. According to the accounting standards, all right, accounting standards. Who sets those? FASB, right? Yeah, FASB sets those. Okay. Uh, so FASB sets these accounting standards. Bank, banks hold their security portfolios in, in two different ways on their balance sheet. One is held to maturity. The other is available for sale. So, you know, in, in held to maturity, basically what you're saying is you are going to book that book that security initially and then you're not going to you're going to hold it throughout its whole maturity process all right it's pretty explanatory right held to maturity but you don't have to like mark to market on your quarterly financials because you have no idea what it'll be at at its maturity you have no idea what rates will be and if you'll um, you know if you'll sell it for a premium or a discount or whatever opposite is available for sale so available for sale, you mark mark the security portfolio to the, the market rate at that time. So you'll show a loss in this case or a gain in other cases on your security portfolio. So they had all of these held to maturity. So really, other than internal management, nobody had any, any clue that they had they were going to show a almost $2 billion loss. Yeah. Right? And so all this kind of came to attention when they, uh, when they announced plans to sell both common and preferred stock. They were trying to raise capital, basically, of just over two and a quarter billion dollars. So people were like, hmm, uh, I don't, why are you doing this? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and and so people started kind of taking some notice of this. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of really what started unfolding everything. So that's kind of what triggered people. Yeah. So it's important for a bank to be liquid for cases like this where people... I mean, people started to come and r- make a run on the bank, which is essentially... Well, yeah, yeah. People come in and try to pull all their money out. Yeah. But like we just said, banks make money by investing deposits right. from our customers. So if too many people come in, want well, their money out, you get into a lot of trouble. I know you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. I know it's not your favorite movie in the it's world. It's not. Anything in black and white, I just... Actually... I think they made a color version of it, though. Did they? Yes. I could I, do that. I could do that. So really, the I'll black and white that. version is what yeah. really bothers you. It puts me to sleep. Okay. Well, anyways, either version is great. Um, <laughs> but that's like, that's, so when you talk bank run, if you're, you know, that's the way I see it is in that movie, you know, the bank run of 1929 there and people run to the bank, literally run to the bank. Um, they say, I want all my money out. Well, as we mentioned, not all of that is like held in a big vault somewhere. Like it's not like some movie out here. That's what I thought for like twenty years. I know, but Movie, movies do such a bad job of portraying <laughs> banks. It's like not even close. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. It's a Wonderful Life. A is a Christmas movie. My wife will argue with me about this because she says we just watch it during Christmas. But it is a Christmas movie. I'll go to my grave saying that. There's um, no Santa. I'm not saying there, that. I mean, I'm not saying to, there's no Santa. I'm saying like, there's no like, Santa in that movie. You know, there's a lot. There of, is a Santa. There's a lot of kids. Young there kids is a out Santa. There. You just ruined 
Christmas for a lot Parents of young Parents, turn kids this out podcast there. off. I just want you to know that. <laughs> there is a Santa. <laughs> okay. We're going to have to... I'm not sure. He didn't make an appearance in that movie. Okay. He's in plenty of other movies. The contract fell out with uh, the producer of, of It's a Wonderful Life. So he said, he said, I'm out. But Okay. Oh, that was a good say. Yeah, I believe you. It's a, it's a Christmas movie. Thank you. Thank Let's you. Let's just put that one to bed. All right. So, But uh, anyways... They ran on the bank. Yeah. So you see them like basically giving out, you know, somebody comes to the counter and it's during his uh, his honeymoon, right? And he's got a bunch of cash. Um, he brought his own cash, right, to the table. And they said, can I have, you know, I want all my money out. Well, you have, you know, at that time it was like 50 bucks. And he's like, could you take 15? And I'm like, yeah, I could take 15 for now. You know, because ultimately that, that money's invested in other places. Like, and for a community bank specifically, that money's invested in your local community and all the projects going on, you know, um, and, and other things, right? But you would have to liquidate some of that stuff to, to truly get the cash, the actual hard cash out. And so uh, the, at the very end, they have like mama dollar and papa dollar, right? And they do a dance around. They're like, you know, we're still solvent. We're still here. Uh, that's kind of what I think about as far as a bank run. But in this case, very digital age that we live in, right? These customers, we talked about how big their uninsured deposit base was. Yeah. Yeah, these customers are like, hey, I want all, you know, XX million dollars out of the bank today. Boom. Hit a button on your app and <laughs> here comes, you know. And here it you comes just, through you the cloud. Yeah. No bank can withstand that, especially yeah. at that high, high dollar volume dollar amount. That's just not... So it was a confidence. It was literally, well, th- there were things that were going on that, that made, you know, sense for the, the for the troubles. It was a major confidence in you issue in a bank run that ultimately decided its fate. Yeah. So, so I've got here, according to USA Today, tech mogul Peter Thiel, I before E, asked his venture capitalist. There's no C firm. there, though. <laughs> Anyways, still applies. Okay. Uh, asked his... Uh, venture capitalist firm to have its companies move their money elsewhere. Other venture capitalist firms also reportedly advised their portfolio companies to pull their money from the bank. That's crazy. Uh, So word got out. Yeah. And basically the way it works is you got this one venture capitalist company, three, four, five hundred companies underneath that. So you get this guy or girl. Five hundred. <laughs> the guys. wrong person found out, right? Yeah. That, that all boom, this boom, is boom, going boom, on. boom, 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 and then yeah. So that that set up on the whole. Uh, that so, didn't help. Yeah, and, and it, it didn't, and obviously that's you know that's a that's sort of a rudimentary understanding of how it all kind of went down. Uh, but the interesting thing is now, like all the stuff going on, it's been so interesting. You know, um, some of the repercussions from all this. Um, I, I read something the other day that said that, um, that, you know, they've had some congressional hearings here even about all this, you know, from a regulator standpoint. Hey, how did you guys not catch this? Um, how did you guys not see all this stuff that was going on? And one, it was, I would agree, it would have been tough to catch because a lot of their metrics were still good. Like they were still making money. They were still, you know, they were growing to a degree and they had some real growth sites out there. But I read something that was, they said that, um, you know, banks run modeling. They run modeling to see what would stress test to see what would happen in a in a varying rate time. And so, you know, you see what would happen if rates drop to the bottom. What would happen if rates increase like crazy? Um, and so, you have to run these assumptions. And 
as I said, that management ran these assumptions and had a pretty good understanding it was going to be really difficult to operate the bank at these at these assumptions. Yeah. So immediately after, that was Thursday, Friday, where panic was spreading. Yeah. Saturday, Sunday, markets are closed. Monday, I, I believe Sunday night, there was a decision made, a big one. Yes. Where every single deposit was going to be not refunded, but... Insured. Insured. Essentially, yeah. So, yeah. So they took... So, well, the sta- I mean, the standard, you know, when you hear member FDIC right. on your commercials, you are insured, I believe it's per social, up to $250,000 yeah. in the case that this happens. Like you said, 94, 96% of those funds were exceeding that 250 Yeah, those amount. deposit accounts, yeah. But regardless, that decision was made. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a major panic in the banking industry and people were prepared for runs on all banks. And the Fed really did what I, th- I think is prudent. Um, uh, they decided to come in and insure all the deposits for that specific institution, uh, for, for Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and so that meant, you know, they were insuring way over and above what they have set their limit being at 250, you know, with multi-million dollar accounts. And so I think that was good industry-wise for that moment. We'll see what sort of repercussions or long-term effect it has. But but they really calmed down the waters at that point. We were probably at like DEFCON 4 <laughs> on Sunday night. And Monday yeah. morning was like two. Yeah. Um, all banks probably expected people to be in lines outside Lined the door. Up. Here we and, go. We were all probably walking in going, okay, there's nobody here. Good. Yeah. So, But it does go to show the banking industry relies a lot on the confidence of the customer because a lot of our deposits are invested. Yeah. The ability to be liquid is, it's hard to fully fund everybody if if everybody comes and lines up at the same time. And so it's... Yeah, safety and security. I mean, that's what everyone wants in their bank is safety and security. You know, it's a place to hold your funds and, and a you know, a place to, you know, potentially cornerstones for the community, especially small communities and smaller banks and small communities. It'd be huge, you know, it'd be a huge part of that community. And and that's that's part of what I, I think would be interesting to see how it goes forward is that, you know, some of the repercussions of this uh, are that now these big banks like Silicon Valley Bank and have almost been deemed as too big to fail. Yeah, uh, and I think that's one of the repercussions of of what happened is that, yeah, they failed, but in in a sense, everyone was made whole, right? I I know within the first two days, within the first two days, Bank of America gained over fifteen billion dollars in deposits. Yeah, and almost all of that came from small and local uh, community banks. Yeah, so we've kind of answered how did this bank get to the point of failure of collapsing. Yeah. What happens now as far as banking? What what do the the customers need to know? One of the things I would say is that the industry as a whole seems to be seems to to be really strong right now. Uh, and you've heard the 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 Fed talk about that how they feel like the industry is still strong, and that this was an a, an interesting and maybe a unique circumstance. Banks are probably having somewhat of. A, Similar issues from a liquidity standpoint, just because of how quickly interest rates rose, and and there are reasons behind that. But one of the unintended consequences is the fact that you know these local, small, and community banks, 
you know, are really, really getting hit hard for really not doing anything. They weren't involved at all in Silicon Valley Bank or or of that size or nature. You know, they weren't invested. A lot of them, you know, most of them were not, uh, did not have these crazy, ridiculous uh, deposit accounts and the multi-million dollar facet. And they didn't have customers that were these large tech companies or tech startups. They're banking your everyday consumer and business around here. But these are the institutions that have seemingly lost deposits, the backbone of what they do, and to allow them to continue to grow and and be profitable and those types of things. And so, you know, I was reading something the other day, and it said the Fed just reported that the U.S. banks have borrowed $475 billion as things have kind of gone on post-collapse. You know, that's banks preparing. That's banks preparing for, you know, loss of deposits because they understand that, you know, while there's a confidence issue, a lot of that, over half of $475 billion was in small community and regional banks. So you can think about it. Comparative to size, that's so much. They're preparing for this. And and they should because it's another thing said that over $500 billion two weeks after um, SVB collapsed has been withdrawn from small banks. Yeah. And where where did that go? Big banks. Yeah. Because they can't fail. But the re- I mean, the reality is <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, because they can't fail. Can't fail with quotes. And, and, that, and that's really interesting because, like you talked about, why do people go to small community banks? They're local. Yeah. They're investing in the community. You know them. They know you. Yeah. You can call your local banker, right? That's like a huge thing to be able to do. And you can have a great conversation with your local banker. And they provide a, a, a tremendous amount of um, asset to assets to the community. And you think that... Going investing or going and putting your money in these large big banks, like they're, is it going to be easier for them to uh, communicate with you now that they've got? Yeah, they just added a couple uh, hundred hundred thousand new customers. Yeah, to, yeah. to manage. I think it's like, of. yeah, it's like that. Probably more than that. Yeah, way more than that. It's like over a million customers. Yeah. you know, I mean, it's crazy. So one point four or something crazy like that. Yeah. So, but the logic there is. Too big to fail. Yeah, I get it. We'll just be made. If this were to happen, it's too big. They yeah. can't. They, well, they got to make them whole. Right. But I mean, that's what the insurance fund is there for. Yeah. Um, the small bank is is a pillar of the community. Yeah. And not only do they know what's going on in your community, they want to know you and they want to take care of you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked this episode, please leave a five star rating and drop a review. Follow us on our socials, which can be found in the show notes below. We will catch you next time.